in the evening with boys that go to bed at 7.30. So, at any rate, it is good to be here. I want to begin by just uh, sharing a, a couple experiences and focusing on one in particular. Um, I had the, the good fortune in my 20s to work at a sport fishing lodge on the west side of Haida Gwaii. And the, for those of you who don't know, Haida Gwaii is off in the middle of nowhere. T community of 10,000, Prince Rupert. You go 90 miles offshore to some islands, and there's something like 1,500 people that live on those islands, and then you take a helicopter from a small community to the fishing resort that I worked at. Um, absolutely stunning. Uh, I had some very formative experiences there, not only um, fishing, uh, but also formative as, with me as a person uh, as I grew and learned from the people that I worked with. But there was one thing that really stood out, and that was the environment that I was in. And one of my favorite things to do when I was there, um, if I could get an hour or two in the afternoon, was to hike up to the mountain behind the resort. And I would get up to the top, and it's absolutely spectacular. If you want to see what it's like, you can actually go on Google Earth. I got a picture from this mountaintop loaded into Google Earth, and it, you see this spectacular view. When I'm in a place like that, I just go, wow, God, you are good. You are amazing. Here I am in the wilderness. It's peaceful. It's quiet. And I want to worship. There's been other experiences like that sitting on the coast of Mexico, my surfboard out in the break and no one's around, beautiful sandy beach. Wow, God, you are good. And I know each one of us has had similar experiences. Perhaps it's out at Long Beach. Perhaps it's at a favorite lake. Perhaps it's a hike that we've been on. A place where we get into God's good creation and we are just blown away. We are wowed with God's goodness. We offer up worship. Yet what I find difficult with that experience is how does that relate to the scriptural story that we receive in Revelation? This passage that we read in Revelation is one of my favorite. It is one that I have found great joy, great hope, and great expectation in. It is one that I think I could preach five, six, seven different messages on because of everything that is contained in there. But there's one part that I keep tripping up on. Why is it with this vision of heaven that comes down to earth, we are given a city? Why is it that a city comes down to earth? That's not where I want to worship. I want to go to that mountain behind the fishing lodge. I want to go out to Long Beach. 
I want to go out to a place of wilderness. What I want that text to say is, and I looked and I saw the great garden of Jerusalem coming down. But that's not what we read. And so as I say, there is much there that gives us hope, much there that encourages us. But the city? What? It's paved with gold. Okay. <laughs> my, I, my ring is stainless steel. I, the gold doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Cities are so often a place of oppression, whether it be poverty and drug addiction or the place of corporate greed. Cities conjure up in our mind the very worst that humanity has to offer. The place where people are not treated as people. The place where people can be crushed. The place where people are not known. Cities tend not to be the place that we go to recuperate. Not the places that we go to see God's goodness. My mom, just this morning, came back from a retreat at Cape and Ray. We go on retreats to these beautiful wilderness places. We don't go on retreats to the city. Although my wife tells me there are places in the downtown east side where people can go. And you'll hear why. It'll make sense with this message that I'm going to go through here. The Christian story, where does it begin and where does it end? When we go to the very first chapters of Genesis, we begin in a garden. And when we look at that description of the garden, God is there, Adam and Eve have everything they want, it's a beautiful wilderness, I go, yeah, that's what I like. That's what I want. But when we look at the last two chapters of the Bible, the last two chapters of Revelation, what do we have? We have a city. A whole bunch transpires between the garden and the city, but we are given two bookends. A garden where it begins and a city where it ends. This is God's plan. God is taking us somewhere. How often do we in our Christian faith look to the past and say, I wish we could just reclaim that. I wish it could be like this again. That's not how God works. God is taking us to a new place. A place that, yes, there is great hope, but a place that we may find uncomfortable. A place that doesn't fit what we think. A place that stretches us. And so when we are faced with challenges, when we are feeling like God is calling us to step into something, and we want to shy away, because we want to go back to the way things were, the Christian story says, step into it. Because God is a God who takes us on a journey. 
who takes us from where we were to where we are going. And so this journey begins in a garden, and it finishes in a city. Now, where does a city come from? Why is it that we are given a city? What I find interesting here is that I think God is honoring our choices and the contributions that we make. Allow me to explain. The first city that we encounter in the Bible is the city that Cain founds after he has murdered his brother Abel, and the words are, he fleed the presence of the Lord and formed a city. Cities are the creation of people. Other city, the Tower of Babel. People come together, what? To make a name for themselves, that they will be great. Now, both of these stories, and there are others that we can look at in Scripture, show that the city is a human creation. It is something that we bring to the story, something that through our thought we have brought into existence. And so it's easy for us to see the sin, the pain, and the suffering that so often goes with that. But I think God honors what is good. God looks beyond all of that pain and suffering. God looks beyond the sin and sees the good in the city. What do we read in Revelation chapter 21, 24 to 26? Reads, by its light, and that is the light of the Lamb, will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into its gates. They will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. What? People are going to bring into this city the glory and honor of the nations? This glorious city that comes down from heaven, that is glorious because God has brought it forward, its glory is added to because people have made a contribution to it. This shows how deeply God values our free choice, our individuality, and our uniqueness. We end up in a city. Was this God's plan? Yes. But is it a plan that incorporates the goodness of people, the contributions, the creativity on what people can bring? Yes, absolutely. But look, what do we read in 2127? But nothing unclean will ever enter it. There is a wall around it. It is a fortress that keeps the bad, the sin, the evil out. And all that it is good comes in. It is a giant filter. So the goodness 
of people's creativity. The stuff that God stands back and goes, wow, that comes in. The city is made stronger because of that. Reinforcing this point, this point that we as people have a contribution to make to this city, read in Revelation 22, verse 5. And they, that is the people, the citizens of the New Jerusalem, you and I, they will reign forever. What? The citizens will reign? We thought it was God reigning. Yes, we will reign with God. Reigning implies decision, creativity, and management. And when we go back to the garden, what do we find? We were given dominion over the garden to care for it, to nurture it, to make good decisions, to allow it to flourish. And that's what God sets free in the new city. But we're still left with the city. We can bring all our creativity into it. We can bring our contributions. We can live in this city that is filled with God's glory and we're still in a city. And I'm not sure I want to go there. It's almost like being a kid and you know you're getting that Christmas present and you rip it open and it's not quite what you were expecting. It's like going out for dinner and you order steak and you get chicken. We want the wilderness, we get the city. Why? Why do we get the city? What is it about the city that God values? And I think when we look at the characteristics of a city, what a city offers in its goodness, we see why God's plan is for the new city to come out of heaven. First, a city is a place of refuge for the weak. Those who are on the outcasts, those who are drug addicts, those who have no support, those who feel ostracized, those who are immigrants, all of those who feel at the margins can come to the city and they can find some community. Try being a visible minority in a place like Haida Gwaii. I can tell you there are some very vicious stories of what happens when you're outside of the city and you are a minority. We wouldn't think it happens in a country like Canada, but it does. Cities are a place where people can have community. Cities are a place where those on the margins can come together with others who are on the margins. A city is a place of civilization. It's sort of a modern luxury that we have that we can go camping off in the wilderness and enjoy the wilderness. We have our Gore-Tex jackets. We have our generators. We have all these creature comforts that allow us to experience the wilderness and go, wow, aren't you great, God? But let's not forget what the wilderness was like 
2,000 years ago. Jesus himself was taken out into the wilderness to be tempted, and Mark tells us that he was with the wild animals. This is not sort of tourism here, going out and looking at the beautiful creation. This is a rugged place where there's wild animals that want to rip you apart. When we come into the city, we come into civilization, we come into security. I remember one afternoon while I was working at the lodge, I was delivering lunch on the water. So the guests would all come into the lunch boat and we would hand out hamburgers and hot soup and coffee and if they needed bait and whatever. Basically anything that the guests wanted, we provided to them. And on one particular afternoon, it was really, really stormy. It was really gross. It was pouring rain. And we had like three boats come to the lunch boat, which meant that I had an abundance of hamburgers and soup. And in on shore, I could see a little tent. And I knew this was not the provincial campground that someone had drove into. This was someone who had been paddling for over three weeks, circumnavigating the Queen Charlotte Islands. And they had been holed up on this beach for five or six days. So I took the boat in, nosed it up on shore, and I went and I knocked on the tent. This guy, oh, what? I said, I, I was just out there and I saw you in here. It was pouring rain and I know you've been here for a while and I, I thought you might like a hamburger and some hot soup. What? I said, yeah. And then he got talking and he wouldn't shut up. He had been alone for 21 days eating dried beans and lentils and, you know, lightweight, keep it packed up so it would fit in his boat. I offered him the creature comforts of civilization, and he was eager for it. After 21 days, the beauty of the wilderness had worn off, <laughs> and the desire for the city was coming back. But I think it allows us to see the importance of our cities, the importance of community the importance of safety and security. And so when we see this vision of the new Jerusalem, that new holy city where we will live one day, we know that there will be no pain. There will be no suffering. There will be no worry there. There will be no worry of violence because those walls that are around it act as a filter that keep that which is evil out. Life in that city will be completely and totally free of fear. That city will also be a place of permanent residency. There will be no more moving. There will be no more families being scattered all over the world there will be no more goodbyes because it is one city that comes down from heaven. It is not multiple cities. Families will not be split up. There will be one city 
in which all of the citizens will live. This point was driven home to me when I was talking to a food bank client, my age, 36 years old, and who was preparing to move for over the 30th time in his life. <laughs> Said by the time he was 18, he had moved 25 times. Do you know what that does to a person? To not be grounded? To not have a place that is home? To speak those words that in the New Jerusalem, that will be your permanent home, that has power in that situation. Really? I won't have to keep moving? I won't be uprooted? I won't be dragged away? No. You will be there. That is the hope of heaven. The city is a place where we will be named. I don't know about you, but when I think of a city, I get this picture of New York with the big skyscrapers and just the sea of people on the sidewalk. Walking, they're all anonymous. No one knows who they are. They all just look the same. There's just a big sea of them. No one will be anonymous in this new city. Why? Because Jesus' name will be upon them. Is that not the desire that all of us have? The desire to be known? The desire for our name to be known? In the last week, there were two experiences that I had that drove this home to me. One positive one negative. The positive one. On Friday, we got a phone call from the local newspaper in Nanaimo, and they were celebrating their 25th anniversary, and they had had a barbecue out in their parking lot, and they had some extra food, and they said, you know, would the food bank like this extra food? And I said, oh, absolutely. So I dropped, jumped in the van, drove over there. When I got out of the van, it was like I was a celebrity. All these reporters, and the editor, and the publisher, hey, Peter, hey! There were people that I didn't know, I never laid eyes on, but they were, hey, Peter. It showed me that I liked being named. I liked being known. The problem with that, though, was I liked being known because of what I did, because of my work, because of what I had accomplished. I had made a name for myself. Just as the people who had built the Tower of Babel made a name for themselves, they did something great and they would be known. That desire is within us to be known, for our name to be known. The second example, and I said it's sort of the negative. On Monday night, we were open at the food bank. And it was a particularly good evening to come as a client to the food bank. We have a food recovery program there where we get food out of local grocery stores that's being thrown out. We sort through it and we get food that, you know, three quarters of it isn't even at the best before date. But we get high-end cheeses and olives and deli meats and all kinds of stuff. It, 
It's an amazing story. I could tell you more about it. But suffice it to say, last Monday, we had tons and tons and tons of, you know, those little round wheels of cheese that are worth like 25 bucks and you wonder who in the world ever buys those things. We were giving those out at the food bank. It was unlimited. And I was talking to one gentleman well into his 70s. And he said, this is just so great. I'm so excited. I'm going to take this stuff home. And then his voice, his face kind of dropped. He said, and I'm going to pretend that I'm somebody. And I said, you're going to pretend that you're somebody? He said, yeah, I get to eat this good food. It's sad. Our society values people based on what they have accomplished. When he gets to sit down and enjoy some high-end cheese, he thinks he has to pretend to be somebody. You know what? We all are pretending that we are somebody when we rely upon what we have done. I said to him, you are somebody. You are somebody because you are created in the image of God. You are somebody who God's grace rests upon. And that is why you are somebody. What do we read in this text? Revelation 22.4 They will see his face and his name will be upon their forehead. We're not talking about a tattoo here. We're talking about the good name of Jesus. The name that is above every single name. Being there. Infused into us. Imagine if right now Bill Gates walked in here. Oh, Bill Gates. Imagine if William Shakespeare walked in here. Oh, William Shakespeare. Imagine Oprah Winfrey walks in here. Oh, Oprah. Imagine if Jesus walked in here. The magnitude of that name, the wonder of it, the glory of that name will be upon each one of us. The name of Jesus given to each one of us. Each one of us is a somebody. Not because we have nice cheese to eat. Not because we've accomplished great things. But because of the gracious gift of God. And so in this city, we will have a name. We will have the name of Jesus. This city is not an anonymous place where we're just lost in a crowd. This is a place where we bring our creativity, the things that make us uniquely us, the good contributions that we have to make, that will be honored and it will be added to because we will receive the name of Jesus. Wow.
the name of Jesus will be upon our foreheads. What else do we learn about this city? This is the part that I like best because when we look at this city, we see that there is a river. There is a river that is clear, vibrant, that runs right through the middle of the street. There are trees in this city. This is a stark reminder that our cities that we so often create miss the point. I've stood many times in Vancouver on West Georgia at all of the buildings and all of the busy traffic and thought 300 years ago this was an old growth forest. There were little streams running everywhere. And what have we done as people? We've cut it all down. We've paved every single part of it. And we have completely rolled over nature. What happened to all the streams that used to exist in downtown Vancouver? Like, that water has to go somewhere, but it's gone. And I think that grates at us. It grates at us in ways that perhaps aren't overt, but they're subtle. We need to be connected to nature. That is why when we go to those mountaintops and see those beautiful views, we go, <gasps> God recognizes this. And so when God pulls together a city, a city where his people are going to live forever, he makes sure that there's a river and he makes sure that there are trees, that there's vegetation there. Water, as essential it is for life, is there in great abundance. This is no gross, yucky city water. Remember being in Los Angeles in a hotel and taking a drink of tap water there? Disgusting. This is the best water ever. Water that flows from the throne of God. There are trees there. What do we learn about these trees? It says these trees are there for the healing of the nations. God recognizes that the beauty of nature heals. And so there they are, right in the middle of his city. And what else do we learn about these trees? That they yield their fruit each month. Food is now no longer produced way far away from us. It's produced within our own city. We are connected to what we need for life. We've seen this happen in a very small way at Loaves and Fishes Food Bank in Nanaimo. Our property is has two buildings on it, and anywhere there's not buildings, there's concrete. It's completely covered. And last year, we put in a community garden. So the big concrete expanse in the back had plots put on it, 
vegetation came up. It was amazing the difference that that made. Not just in terms of the food that we were able to produce, but in terms of the atmosphere, the way people gathered, the comfort that people felt because there was life and vegetation, there was brightness. So what difference does all of this make? You can tell a whole bunch of nice things about this city and it's far off in the future. We know all these things up here. How do we get it from here down to here? The hope of heaven is not a hope that is far off in distance. It is a hope that is invading the present now. Jesus teaches us to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to live lives that are a preview of the coming attraction. I don't know about you, but when I rent a movie, I hate how they put all those previews at the beginning, and you got to skip through them all. You know our culture, when they see the preview of heaven and Christians like me, they just want to skip through it. Our previews of the coming attraction should be amazing. That's why we share testimonies. They're previews of the coming attraction. That's why we share what God is doing in our lives. Because when people see that, it's not just us they see, they see heaven. They see that hope in the future. They see that there is a reason to live. They see encouragement. Future hope leads to obedience in the present. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, the writer writes, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He didn't know what was going on. He wasn't told that he was going to return to the city, to the way, or sorry, to the garden and go back the way things were. He was called out into the unknown. And so we read in verse 9, By faith he went out to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, hairs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham held up as the model of faith, steps out into the uncertainty because he has hope in the future. Hope that he will come forward to a city that has its foundations and design in God.
we are called forward to step out into faith. To not look at the past and wish that things were the way they were, but to step out, to claim this city, to show this city what heaven looks like. John has been sharing with me the plans to do healing in the streets. Really? I don't want to do that. That's scary. I want to go back to the garden. God's not about making us comfortable. He's about making us holy. He's about molding us to his purposes. Jesus is inviting us into his future. We can trust that. And despite us feeling uncomfortable, despite our worry, we can trust that Jesus is has our best interests in mind. How do we live that future now? How do we experience heaven right now? Jesus has given to us many things, but one of the most magnificent things he has given to us is his name. What do people who have the same name do? They are family. They come together and they share a meal. I was just at my parents' house sharing a meal. The Sinclair family together sharing a meal. The family of Jesus the followers of Jesus who don't just follow him but have his very name infused into their being come together and share a meal. And so we are going to celebrate communion now, the meal that Jesus himself gave to us, that he gave to us as a way to remember not only who he is but what he did and what he is doing. And so I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. <clears throat> 